Welcome to Maximal Being, a GI doc and ICU nurse that break down the science so you can exceed your gut health, nutrition and fitness goals. So, let's smash the bro science and optimizing your health with your hosts, Doc Mock and RN Graham. What's going on, Maximal Beings? This is Doc Mock, and I'm here with RN Graham and Sharif Ultrafit down in Miami. And this kicks off the inaugural podcast. What we're going to do today is first, we're going to break down what uh, Maximal Being is all about and who we are, what we stand for. And then we're going to be getting into uh, debunking a lot of the bro science between whether it's better to lift light or lift heavy. And so, I'm one of your hosts, Doc Mock. I'm an advanced GI doctor. I practice in Cleveland, Ohio, one of the most underrated cities in America, originally from New York City, raised in New Jersey. I got a master's degree in anatomy, um, and then I went to medical school. And despite going to medical school, I really didn't know a lot about nutrition. It wasn't until, you know, I, I paved my own pathway and discovered nutrition and fitness in my own journey that I started to learn about it. I began to read and read, and that flipped my uh, nutrition and fitness pathway in a 180 from running eight miles every other day, eating 1,200 calories, to eating 3,200 calories and lifting weights. And it's been an upward pathway since then. I continue to read. I continue to be inquisitive. My expertise is in cancer, gut health, and nutrition. And without further delay, on to R.N. Graham. How you doing, Maximal Beings? My name is uh, R.M. Graham, a.k.a. Richard. Um, my journey as a fitness actually started at a very young age. I've always been, you know, athletically gifted. Um, I always found it fun to be outside. I was one of those kids uh, that, you know, used to come in when the lights uh, went, off, went on outside. Um, so, you know, that's how I basically started. But I didn't learn about the benefits of weightlifting and, really getting into the gym until later on in life when actually I met uh, Doc Mock here. Um, we, did, we used to work out together, actually, um, during our lunch break uh, back in New Jersey. And it was at that point which I started to learn about my body and the effects that weightlifting had on it. But it wasn't until years later that I actually learned the learned how to do what's right for my body. You know, I was following growth science at that point. But as I got older and I gained more knowledge, especially in the medical field, becoming a nurse, um, I learned that there's a lot of benefits to weightlifting. And if, if it's done correctly, but if not done correctly, you know, it does lead to injuries and so on and so forth. All right. So I'm going to send it up here to Sharif Ultrafit. All right. What's up, Maximal Beings? Um, my name is Sharif Ultrafit. I was born in Egypt, grew up also in Egypt. Um, I moved to Michigan when I was about 14, and that's when my journey began. Um, I was a skinny kid. I got picked on a lot in high school. Being a foreigner, a skinny kid, I could barely speak the language. And honestly, that's when um, I said I had to start working out and gaining some size so I could try to intimidate people, at least, you know, <laughs> physique-wise. And that's honestly when I started falling in love with it, seeing my body changing and, um, you know, learning more about it, the science behind it, the functionality. So it's not just aesthetics, you know, it's being able oh, to. Oh, no, it's, it's only aesthetics. <laughs> it's 
Some people think so, so you'll be surprised. Um, so basically, I moved to Florida, and about eight years ago, I decided to go into personal training and basically the fitness industry because I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and the more I studied and the more I learned about the body and its functions, the more I fell in love with it. And I've been a trainer ever since seven to almost eight years now, working with all kinds of clients, um, goals, different limitations. And um, honestly, the fact that every case is completely different than the other is also what makes me fall more in love with it. Um, being able to adapt to different needs and different wants and help those people reach their goals is very satisfying to me. And uh, again, it made me love what I do and I, I do what I love and it's just, that's part of success. Those, those are two really amazing stories there and I uh, gratitude to both of you for sharing those with, with our listeners and, and with me. You know, um, I think that a lot of us exemplify what maximal being is all about. And really the conception of maximal being, Aaron Graham alluded to, was back when we met. Uh, we were both you know, medical assistants working for an internal medicine practice. It was kind of a period in our lives when we just felt a little bit lost. And we found our way through really picking up the barbell and, and getting to work. And um, it's amazing what moving around what proper nutrition and what building sustainable lifestyle fitness and nutrition habits can do for me personally you know i i definitely um, see gut health is tied into all of this um, because those little bugs inside of your belly control both parts of it and nutrition and fitness and gut health are all directly linked which is why our logo actually has the three gears um, so I figured, it, unless you guys have anything else to add to what maximal being is all about, we could jump into our topic. I think it's in the name. I think uh, every every day you really should be trying to maximize who you are. I don't know how you feel about that, Chili. I agree, man. I agree. Um, people have so much potentials than, than they really think they have already. They just don't push to get to that level, you know, they don't push through that threshold. Um, but once you teach them, once they get the, the proper education, you know, they're able to push through. It's just, they need that little switch. And it's not about meeting our expectations. It's about what whatever it is to meet your next level of expectations and meeting your next level of goal and satisfaction in your life. And again, it's all about sustainability. So with that said, you know, the world is crazy right now. There are a lot of terrible things happening. Um, also, a lot of good things happening, too. And, and here at Maximal Being, I feel so thankful that we've built and we are building this community that's filled with supportive people. And so we're going to continue the love here today, um, you know, just by kind of uh, discussing, um, you know, how you can love your body by either lifting light or lifting heavy. So, I mean, what do you guys think? Is there, is there a right way to lift? There's definitely a right way to lift. And it's neither light or heavy. It's a little bit of both. So you really have to do both, right? Um, to, to be the complete package, you gotta train in all aspects, right? In all planes of motion. You got to train your flexibility, you got to train your strength, you got to train your endurance, you got to train your uh, explosiveness. 
So should you lift heavy all the time? Probably not. Should you lift light all the time? Also probably not. Should you mix them both up? Um, that would be the perfect combination. And then again, right, it comes down to what you're training for. So some athletes that are training for power, like, for example, power lifters, they need that heavy training. They need that explosiveness, right? Yeah, so, you're not going to get very far lifting uh, 15 pounds if you're trying to be a... Correct. So a person like that should train more, mainly heavy weights, right? But your average person, your average Joe, just a regular civilian off the street, does not need to be doing heavy weights every time they get in the gym, especially if they don't have proper form. Somebody that's just starting to work out as a New Year's resolution, most people haven't lifted a weight in their life, and they go into it, they're trying to lift heavy, they're chasing numbers, and then... That just sets you up to failure, right? Exactly. Injuries down the road and the longevity, um, soreness, wrong soreness, muscle tightness. And then you start um, compensating. And once you start compensating, again, you're putting yourself at risk, more risk for injuries. So it really comes down to what you're training for. You got to have a purpose, right? Otherwise, you cannot stay consistent with your training regimen. I think you hit on a really important point, which is what are your goals? And we have to define what success is, right? Is success being stronger, meaning lifting more weight? Is success hypertrophy, meaning getting bigger muscles? Is success having more stamina, meaning more muscle, an ability for your muscle to last over time? And so what do you guys think about light versus heavy in those situations? Um, so basically... When it comes to that, for example, myself, I am generally speaking a light lifter um, for my size. Um, you know, people ask me, oh, what do you bench? And I tell them, you know, not that much. And they're like, oh, how's that possible? You know, you have some good size on you. And I say, because of the way I lift. I am a big believer in lifting light because, as we've touched on, you're more prone to injuries the heavier you lift. Um, I'm not interested. It's, look. I'm not going to the gym, you know, to try to show off. My body doesn't show it off for me. You know, whether I can lift 245 or, you know, 135, it doesn't matter because it's about how I want to look. So there's guys in the gym that live heavier than me, but they don't look like me. But it's because of the way they train versus the way I train. I live light, but I do live closer to failure as long as I'm keeping form. So I'll lift 16 to 20 on some sets, but I'm really concentrating on contracting the muscles. I mean, that, that's, that's where people lose out a lot. They're not focusing on what they're doing during the workout. Sure, if you want to touch a little bit on that. So the funny thing is, like, muscle does not really know weight, right? Muscle just knows contraction, time under tension. It doesn't know if you're lifting 10 pounds or 20 pounds or even 100 pounds. So... Those people that chase their numbers, um, A, they have no purpose, really, because they go in and they just lift heavy every day. They have no proper form, in most cases at least. I'm not saying everybody, but in most cases, they have no proper form. They're recruiting um, other muscles to perform the job for something that they shouldn't even be doing. And your body will help you out and do that because your body is built for survival, right? Adaptation. But again, over time, all these wrong movements add up and then you get injured and then what? You can't lift at all. So 
So your your concept of lifting heavy to get bigger and stronger is now down the drain, and you can't even lift anything. So your one year of lifting heavy, good luck, buddy. <laughs> but lifting heavy is so fun. I mean, who doesn't love picking up three hundred and fifty pounds off the ground, pushing it up above their head? It's a it's Again. a personal accomplishment. Correct. So there is a time and place for it. There is. There's a time. So I took a group, um, two high school kids that play football, and they were all, you know, high school kids. When you're younger, the ego gets in the way. It's all about how much you can bench press, how much you can squat. Listen, actually, ego gets in the way in the gym a lot, too. <laughs> you see that nice-looking girl walk by? Yeah. You're trying to push more weight. And, I mean, I get it. But the problem with that, that has a lot to do with pride and ego. And pride and ego can lead you down a path you don't want to go down. But I'm sorry, should we go ahead? So I took these two kids through a six-week program where I didn't have them lift heavy at all. And, you know, they started complaining in the beginning because they wanted to lift heavy and we're not doing heavy enough weight. But I took them through um, moving slow through your rep, like concentrating on your eccentric and your concentric and your isometric and higher reps. And after those six weeks, they went back to lifting heavy and they set PRs for their squats. Um, they actually got stronger lifting medium weight at a slower tempo, controlled tempo. So lifting lace a lot of times will help will help your your heavy lift. So again, uh, so how do we also define light versus heavy lifting? In re- in reference, I think to PR. What what would be your standard definitions? Uh, according to PR, I mean, I guess the technical definition of heavy lifting is what, 85% of your one rep max? Uh, it might would be, what, is it 55? About, about 50 to 60, maybe. 50 to 60% of your your max rep. Yeah, the, the traditional and the classic exercise information and in exercise physiology teaches us that if you're staying under 60% of one rep max, that you should build more of a muscle stamina, right? Or if you're going above 65%, that's more of a hypertrophy strength complex. But we actually went ahead, you know, because we are scientifically and minded people and smart people, and we pulled some really important studies, um, the oldest of which dated back to 2008 by uh, Nanamoto et al. And they did multiple workouts. There were three groups. There was a light group. Um, a heavy group, and they defined it the way they were talking about, less than 60% one rep max, greater than 65% one rep max. And then there also was a control group. They just kind of said, go do whatever you guys want to do. Again, 36 people. And what they found is that essentially it doesn't matter, although the control group didn't do as well because it helps to have help when you're working out, right? This was followed up in 2012 because they asked the question, you know, does it matter with one specific muscle group? And so in this study by Mitchell et al., they just looked at legs and they found a similar sort of thing. And and interestingly enough, they did biopsies on these, these people and they found an increase in the activity in the muscle when people were lifting heavy, but this did not correlate with an improvement in hypertrophy or strength, which were their primary outcomes. Um, and 18 members in each group. The next study, what they did is, um, you know, again, they looked at similar sort of metrics, Morton et al., um, and no difference. And then finally, in, in 2014, somebody had a great idea of putting all of these studies together to get more people, um, 251 subjects. And guess what they found, guys? 
Light doesn't matter. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a scientific sort of guy. I'm reading these studies. Are these studies the gospel? You guys have alluded to a little bit that maybe light in proper form might have some benefit. But the studies are just kind of showing it doesn't make a difference. Where, where do you think the discrepancy could be? So let's say let's 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 say that it doesn't make a difference. Okay, so if it doesn't make a difference, you have more more cons health-wise for lifting heavy as opposed to medium weight. So if it doesn't make a difference, why wouldn't you pick the better option, right? Where you can preserve your body for a longer period of time, last longer at training, do more, be able to recover better, as opposed to going heavy. And then risking injury, um, you need more time to recover if you're lifting heavier. And for the longevity, you're not going to last that long. So, I mean, I feel like that's a smarter choice. Again, unless you're training for a powerlifting competition or anything else that requires the heavy lifting. We're talking average civilians here that just want to stay in shape and just work out to look good, perform good for just your daily activities nothing crazy they're not playing in the nfl they're not you know what i mean you know i mean if you're an offensive lineman in the nfl you have to you know you have some 200 you know 85 pound guy pushing back against you yeah that heavy that guy needs to train strong yeah you're you're pushing somebody that's heavier than you you are pushing 285 pounds plus the force that they're coming at you with but let's face it the average joe is not going to ever need to bench press 350 pounds Especially, especially when you're 19. Exactly. It's just <laughs> it, it's just not going to happen. You know, the body, like Sharif uh, alluded to earlier, it's all about adaptation. I mean, it's very functional. We are built as functional beings. What we need to be able to do is push ourselves up from danger and pull ourselves up from danger. If we are in a squatting position, we need to be able to comfortably get up from that squatting position. Um I don't really know of many situations where you're going to have to lift more than 50 pounds from a squatting position. I mean, you really have to ask yourself, what are you really training for? Um, and unfortunately, the people that just lift weights without any education, they're training for muscle growth, right? But that's not really what you're training for as an average person. You're training for what neurological adaptation. You're training to have your central nervous system communicate well with peripheral nervous system and both fire at the, at the proper time. Um, you're trying to get all these motor neurons recruited. So that's really what you're trying to train for. And with that comes muscle growth, right? Once the adaptation comes in, that's when muscle growth comes in. That's when um, speed comes in. That's when explosiveness, it all kicks in once you take care of your central nervous system and peripheral nervous system firing at the same time. That's really what you're training for. So what the body does is it adapts. If you put stress on the body, the body says, okay, well, I have to fight this stress. You know, I have to be able to adapt to this stress. So for example, if you're a marathon runner, you don't just go out and run, you know, 26.1 miles on your first run. You're not going to make it three miles. It just is what it is. You have to adapt to it. So if you think of marathon runners, for example, they start off light. You know, they start off maybe doing 5Ks on a regular basis to build up to where they're going to. Um, 
But even that, you know, you're not doing explosive running like a sprinter. You know, a sprinter, once again, they start off their explosive short distances, explosive short distances, then longer distances. But you're not going jumping right into the heaviest thing possible because you're never going to succeed at that. So I think we brought up a lot of really interesting points so far. Uh, in order to get stronger, you don't necessarily have to lift heavier. In order to get bigger muscles, you don't necessarily have to lift heavier. But maybe in order to lift for a longer period of time, right, longevity, to preserve the rest of your body, light is the way to go. And with that, let's talk about the different type of muscle fibers that we have in the body. So we have both slow twitch and fast twitch muscle fibers, right? And even within that, you have fast twitch that run on oxygen and fast twitch that run anaerobically once you run out of oxygen, right? And those are powered on something called glycogen. Glycogen is derived from carbohydrates usually, um, or it can be converted from fat into glycogen via the liver. Um, and this is the fuel that your muscles are, are based upon. So what do you guys think about, can you train one specific type of fiber versus another? Are people able to have one more type, more, more of one type of fiber versus the other? Are there benefits to those things? You can train one over the other for a period of time. It's not sustainable. Once one tire is out, your body's going to then recruit the help of the other tire. So if I'm sitting there and I'm doing jumping jacks, for example, and I'm using my calves, which are fast switch muscles, it's only a matter of time before my tire, my calves tire out. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to request, uh, I'm going to, my body's going to request the assistance from other muscles. So um, let me start by saying that in most cases, it's about a 50-50 split as far as like type one, type two muscle fibers in the body. Now, some, some people tend to have more type two than type one, others tend to have more type one, but for most cases, 50-50, maybe like 40-60. Um, there's no way to really, um, I mean, I shouldn't say there's no way because scientifically there is, but it's probably gonna cost you a fortune to figure out how much muscle fiber is of what you have, right? But for the most part, again, it comes down to what you're training for um, if you train more explosive stuff, then you're training the type two muscle fibers. Obviously, you're not going to last longer, uh, shorter distance, but you're exploding. If you train type one, you're lasting more endurance, slow twitch. Um, like Richard said, at some point, say you're training a endurance type one muscle fibers. Once you type one muscle fibers, get tired, say 30th rep, 40th rep, whatever it is that you're doing, depending on the weight. At some point, your type 2 is going to kick in. Unless you stop at that point, then you're only training your type 1 muscle fiber. But if you keep going, then the type 2 has to kick in to help out with the movement. So for the most part, you're training both. You should train both as a complete athlete. Or if you're just a civilian that's trying to work out, you should train both. Like I said, um, should be the complete package. You should... Train as much flexibility training as you are weightlifting, right? You need the stretch. You need the um, elasticity. You should train your type 1 and your type 2 muscle fibers as well. Um, so, yeah, you should train both. Again, depending if you're an athlete, depending on what sport you're playing, you should train more in one area than the other. Sure, why not?
Yeah, so uh, interestingly enough, the 2012 study by Mitchell, in their biopsy protocol, they did look at a difference between you know type 1 and type 2 fibers with light versus heavy weights. And they found, again, no difference in growth versus one versus the other. They did found baseline changes between people. And they hypothesized that a lot of these differences are based upon genetics, right? Um, and these people are pre-exercised. So it may also have something to do with whatever conditioning they had been doing the prior 20 years before they enrolled in the study. But so I think, you know, with all of this study information, you know, and practical information that we're gathering, it's just important to take a step backwards and look at you know whether the scientific data is accurate. And I think that a lot of the information in fitness and in nutrition that overlaps with science fall into some, some big traps. One of the big traps is the power. The power means the number of people that participate in these studies. These are small trials, okay? You get a dozen people together, you do some biopsies on their quadricep, and then you say that that's gospel. So the classic example of this in recovery is with Gatorade. Sorry, Gatorade people, but you know, with sports recovery drinks. Go on any blog right now, do a quick Google search, you're gonna find that water is inferior to Gatorade if you Google uh, Gatorade versus water. And that's from these trials that were funded by Gatorade. Some with bigger numbers, but most with smaller numbers, and you can't really draw conclusions. And these these trials are very prone to having either type 1 errors or type 2 errors where you have false positives or false negatives, meaning the results aren't are show something, but do they actually show something because you um, don't have enough people involved in the study? So um, any closing points regarding light versus heavy, gentlemen? train both um personally um i'll go light light okay so when we say lightweight it's about 60 percent, right we're not saying lightweight as in pick up five pounds and work for an hour doing just one movement right so let's understand that yeah but when we say light what we're talking about is light for you you know what's light for me may not be light for somebody else but you should, um, again, to preserve your body, your joints, your ligaments, you should train lightweight for four to six weeks, and then you go about a week heavy. And then you go light again, four to six weeks, and then a week heavy. Again, you're trying to preserve your body so you can last, right? We're trying, we're all going to age. We're all getting old. We're just trying to slow that process down. And you can only slow that down by living a healthy lifestyle. And even though you're lifting heavy, you're lifting heavy, which is lifting. So that's a healthy lifestyle. But you got to think about all that torque on your joints and your ligaments over and over and over. Yeah. It cannot be good. I mean, look at all these bodybuilders. They look amazing, right? But give them you but know, 15 at, years yeah. of heavy, heavy lifting. Ask that guy when he's 30, how does he feel? Or Ronnie, Ronnie Coleman, right? He can't even yeah. walk anymore. You're talking about joint replacements on a regular basis. And he didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't partying. He wasn't drinking. He wasn't smoking. He was in the gym working out, correct? Right. Well, thank goodness there are people like you out there that realize that there are benefits of both and understand the reasoning behind you do what you do. Um, So uh, I figured we could wrap up our main topic. And I have a couple just pieces of of, uh, 
a mail from social, um, questions that people had asked us that we could briefly touch on. We'll start with one, see how we're doing on time. The the first one is, uh, hey, Doc Mock, uh, this is from Chris. Um, I, I have uh, been training a lot more with coronavirus. I've, I've been training um, lighter and doing a lot more reps and, and sweating a lot more at my home gym. I've noticed that after doing that, um, I started to have muscle fatigue and twitching afterwards. Do you recommend supplementing with anything? I've been looking a lot into magnesium supplements in particular. So I'm going to turn it over to Aaron Graham because I know he has some um, specific experiences with magnesium supplements. I'm happy to chime in with the GI side effects of magnesium supplements. Go for it, Aaron Graham. Uh, sure. Um, back in 2007, I noticed that I was having palpitations on and off um, and, you know, did a bunch of different studies on my heart, did an echo, did EKGs, um, and they never found anything. I actually even did a halter monitor, which is basically an event monitor. It's something that you wear, uh, you know, over a weekend and it records your your heart rate. It's a prolonged EKG, it's called. Um and it wouldn't pick up anything, but I was definitely still having these palpitations. So I went to a doctor who was actually a very intelligent man. And he said, what you're probably having is something called proximal AFib. So what would happen basically is my heart would be beating normal. And then for a short period of time, it would change its beat and then come right back. Um, so what he did was he gave me magnesium as a supplement, and it did actually have a very, very good effect on that. And it's because of the effects on magnesium on muscles. Um, so that definitely helped out. I also use magnesium to help sleep. Uh, magnesium does help also with sleep. Uh, if you ever heard of ZMA, which is a product that is big in the nutrition world, uh, it's basically zinc, magnesium, and uh, vitamin D. Um, and it is proven to help uh, to fall into deeper sleeps as well. Sharif UltraFit, you recommend it for your clients for training purposes? What do you think? As far as supplements or just the magnesium? Yeah, magnesium. Uh, magnesium, yeah. Um, absolutely. It's See, supplements do help magnesium, including magnesium. Um, problem is you still have to have the proper nutrition with that as well, right? Yes. So people people think because they're taking some sort of supplement, whether it's magnesium or vitamin D or protein or this or that, that they, sh they don't need to eat the regular meals. And that's a very big misconception that people need to learn. But yes, absolutely, I would recommend it. Yeah, you can't supplement your way to wellness. Magnesium's uh, main jobs in the in the body globally are to slow things down, right? It does that in the heart, as R.N. Graham had alluded to. You know, so it takes your heart and just kind of smoothens out the contractions. And it does the same in the muscles, right? It tells the muscles to kind of calm down a little bit. In the gut, however, it has the opposite effect, right? Because usually when things are in overdrive in the rest of your body, your gut does not like that. It does the opposite of what the rest of the body does. So. Actually, we give magnesium as a way of cleaning out the bowels to take a look in the colon. So you may find if you do supplement it, although it may help with your muscle soreness, that you get diarrhea as a side effect. And that's a very common reason to have diarrhea. Um, so I would say use it, use it with caution. But as uh, Sharif UltraFit uh, mentioned, 
It does not supplant proper diet. As long as you're getting enough vegetables, enough different colors, you're going to get magnesium somewhere in your diet. Do you guys think we have time for one more question or do you want to go ahead and, and wrap things up for this week? Let's get that one more Let's question. Let's do it. All right. Um, so this comes from uh, Tammy and she says, hey, Doc Mock, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate all the information on nutrition. Um, I've built a lot of really sustainable lifestyle changes. I just find myself at the end of the day craving something sweet. Is there anything that you recommend? Um, I know uh, some people have mentioned some benefits of chocolate. What percentage of chocolate would you do? Do you recommend anything for dessert? Please help me. Okay. So um, I guess I'll, I'll lead off and, and just kind of say that um, I think that it's okay to have dessert from time to time. It's okay to have a cheat day as long as you're making sustainable habits 99% of the time. Um, you don't want to go overboard, you know, and the closer to nature, the better. Um, and so I'm going to turn it over to you guys about, you know, what you think about the benefits of chocolate and also the benefits of allowing yourself to have a little bit of cheat time in, in your diet and exercise regimens. So um, you're actually um, recommended to have a square of dark chocolate every night. And that should like um, crave your uh, sweet tooth or meet your cravings for, for a sweet tooth. The problem is portion control. People are having a hard time with that just one square and they eat one bar exactly. instead. Exactly. One, one square is one square, people. <laughs> so, Not the entire sneaker dark. So if you're able to, again, control your portions, you can have one square of dark chocolate every night. Um, as far as cheat meals, again, that depends on your goal. Um, I, I don't like the idea of a cheat day per se because mm -hmm. then people go all out that day. They'll have their pizza and their ice cream and their fried this and their fried that and their sodas. They're really taking advantage of that one day. Yeah. And then you're basically messing up everything you did for the whole week. The whole week. So the way I look at it is on average, you're allowed three meals a day times seven days a week. That's 21 meals a week, right? Depending, again, depending on your goal and what you're trying to accomplish, if you're trying to move forward, if you're just trying to maintain, um, it should be an average of one to two meals a week you can cheat. I mean, if you're really there and you don't need to improve anymore, yes, you could have two meals that you could cheat, whatever meals you want. Um, if you're a person that's trying to make gains, you honestly shouldn't have any cheat meals, but just to keep you on track, you're allowed one cheat meal a week. The way I look at it. So my theory on cheat meals is this. How hard are you training? You know, if you do a session in the morning, you know, fasting, you're burning 350 calories. You know, that slice of cheesecake that you're having as your cheat meal has just now negated that 350 calories you burn. And some. And some. Because I don't eat chocolate. I'm all the chocolate I need. But uh, <laughs> you put a cheesecake in front of me and I'll Terry Cruz, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you, give me a, you give me a cheesecake and I'll eat that entire cheesecake. The difference is I'll go in the gym and I'm burning an exorbitant amount of calories. I, I'm someone that I have to eat. I have to eat constantly. I mean, I probably eat close to anywhere between 3,500 to 5,000 calories when I'm really training. Um, the average person 
probably can't do that. You know, the average person, you you really should stay somewhere, depending on your goal, between 1,700 to 2,500. I don't know if that's the numbers that you have, uh, Schaefer, but that's where I, that's, you know, how I look at cheat meals. How hard are you training? Is it something that you can actually afford to do? Uh, as Sharif said, what's your goals? So to touch up, to touch up on that, um, at the end of the day, it is calories in versus calories out, right? Um, so you're supposed to he's like he said, he's training hard. He's hungry all the time. He's consuming 3,000 calories plus a day. And that's completely fine. You can eat as much as you want. But three 3,000 calories of nutrient-dense food mm-hmm. is a lot better. And you're eating way more portions than 3,000 calories of chloric-dense food, right? If I'm always at McDonald's or if I'm always eating, eating potato chips. Or whole cheesecakes. Most of that is empty calories, right? You're just getting the calories out of it. You get new nutrients, very, very few nutrients, if any, right? So you cannot, in a way, you're getting so much calories and you're eating very little. That's why you're always hungry. As opposed to having so much calories and eating so much that you can't even get to the 3,000 if you wanted to. You almost have to force yourself to eat. Yeah, I, I almost feel like this question could be its own podcast. I mean... You know, I, I think it's okay to have the mental clarity in your in your training program to have a little bit of cheat time and cheat space and don't beat yourself up as long as you get right back up and get back in the ring again. Um, if you're going to pick a, a dessert, I think the dark chocolate is a great way to go, one to two squares. Um, if you're going above 70%, you're, you really have a very low sugar content and you're just getting some good saturated fats, usually from milk fats, and you're also getting cocoa and cocoa has a lot of ability to scavenge uh, free radicals which damage your cellular structure so they're antioxidant properties if you're going and having a huge sunday topping it off with food well then yeah you're probably um, undoing a lot of your hard work so i would just say tread lightly if you're finding that your issue is with hunger you probably need to eat more food and i feel like our society just trains people eat less eat less eat less to get skinny to look like all the models um but Really, you probably need to listen to your body and eat more food. So I think um, we're going to wrap things up here. Really appreciate you guys for all of that, those wonderful thoughts and, and all of the knowledge. And I thought that it was a really great um, discussion around practical implications as well as scientific discovery. Sharif UltraFit, where can we find you on social media? Yes, Instagram. You can find me at Sharif UltraFit or on Facebook. Um, that's Sharif Abdelatif. And and Aaron Graham, uh, what are we doing these days on MaximalBeing.com? Well, MaximalBeing.com, you can check out all of our writings on there. Uh, we're also now launching our YouTube channel, which actually has been launched. Uh, we're gaining more content on it every single day. Um, and we actually also do giveaways. Uh, last time we gave away a TRX band, and uh, this month we're giving actually away uh, some really nice AirPods. So we don't slack here. Um, we're going to give you stuff that you really want and, you know, you stay tuned. Maybe you'll be the next one to win. Yeah. Kombucha course is out on Udemy. You can link to that at maximalbeing.com slash courses. Also head to maximalbeing.com slash shop. We have tons of gear there, eBooks. And if you want to uh, purchase a customized fitness, nutrition, gut health plan by one of uh, our wonderful staff members over here to my right um, down in Miami or myself, 
Um, we are here for you. We will talk to you on the phone for free. We will consult with you and then we'll, we'll create a plan that's sustainable. Um, we're having a lot of amazing results now with our clients that started um, when Maximal Being started and uh, we look forward to working with more of you. So uh, without further ado, that's the first podcast, gentlemen. I think it was a success. And this is Doc Mock along with Aaron Graham, Sharif Ultrafit for the MaximalBeing.com podcast. Stay away from the cheesecake! Thank you for having us on. Thank you so much. You stuck around. Well, here's a sneak peek at next week's episode. The guys are going to be grilling me, a doctor, to see if you truly can trust what your doctor's saying about nutrition. So stay tuned for next week.